Exodus 4, 1 through 17. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it out into the dry ground. The the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? It is not I, the Lord. No, now go, and I will give you speak, and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You will speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Again, Shabbat Shalom. We're still somewhat on mountain standard time, which... I know we all are, but uh, a little differently. Um, We had uh, an interesting trip, and I wanted to tell you just a bit about it. And uh, before I do that, I wanted to pause and ask the Lord's blessing, because we want His Word to come forth. Hallelujah. Lord God, we praise You. And thank you that your word is alive and effectively powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. And Lord, we, we pray for your word to be alive in each one of us, Lord. As we consider the word that's been read to us this morning, we pray, Lord God, that your ruach will lead us into all truth and that you would give us hearts that are soft and eager to hear your word and to put it into practice. And so we ask for that, Lord, the name of Yeshua. Amen. This uh, trip for me was a little different in that uh, typically time to get away 
for me has always been time to get away. You know, you sort of take the brain and unplug it and uh, put it in semi-neutral and vegetate and have some discussion with your spouse um, and enjoy the mountains. But, uh, you know, God is faithful, isn't he? In that he manages somehow to communicate with us. I mean, that, that for me is sanity saver. God talks to us. And um, part of what God has been doing in my life has been to say to me, if you are talking about me being the Lord of your life, then I need to be the Lord of your life, period, in total, which includes your leisure time. And for me, this has been sort of personal. It's like, Lord, um, my leisure time is my time. Do you mind? (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's time for me to do what what I want to do. And, uh, you know, God seems to be somewhat narrow-minded in kind of poking us sometimes on the shoulder and saying, Hello, are you listening? And uh, we eventually listen. In any event, part of the process for me has been to say, Lord, I really want you to be master of my life, including my leisure time. And uh, so I prayed that. I said, Lord, uh, would you work out your will in this particular trip, whatever it is that you want, and I'm willing. It was one of these, okay, what is God going to make me do? Um, Most of it was not particularly spiritual in the sense of Uh, 15,000 spiritual units per second. But uh, one morning, we, the night before, we we had driven quite a bit, and and I was fairly uh, wrung out. This was in Glenwood Springs, and um, we're sitting eating at a restaurant, and uh, I sensed the Lord leading me to make contact with a gal who was our server. And first of all, this is something I've done from time to time, and I'll tell you more about that. First of all, I wanted to know her name. Her name was Sammy. And I just looked at her and said, is there anything that we can pray for you today? And she stopped and uh, was visibly touched. And she said, yes. Uh, my father is undergoing open heart surgery today. He is in hospital, and I would appreciate your prayer. So Joy and I did that. We prayed for her father, and before we left that that morning, she said that she had called her mom and told her mom that some people were praying for the success of her father's surgery. And I felt led to take it a step further. I gave her my card and said, you know, I would appreciate if you would let me know how things turn out. And she sent me this mushy email saying, hello again, I was your server at the cafe and you prayed for my father that 
was going in for heart surgery. Well, thank you for your, for your help because the surgery was a success and he has never felt better. And we all thank you from the bottom of, of our heart. God bless you. Love, Sammy. Uh, have not seen her since. Don't really know who she is. Don't really know who she is spiritually. It was simply the case of saying, Lord, here's the mouth, and if you want to use me somehow, have at it, and I'm willing, and it's your, it's your job. And uh, which reminded me of another story. Some of you know my friend Eta Falowski, uh, who has been here a number of times. He uh, leads a uh, Baptist church and he and I get together, have done that monthly uh, for about uh, 18 years. We did the same thing with the server. And uh, we asked her how we could pray for her, and she was undergoing a custody battle. We said, we'll pray for you. And we came back the next month and asked her how she was doing, and she was delighted to say, I won the custody battle. You know, and I was reflecting on this. What dawned on me was a simple fact that it really isn't about the fact that either one of us, either Joy and myself or Ed and myself, had this major, big, heap, spiritual mojo, you know, power. We were simply willing to say, Lord, here we are. Would you please use us? And he did. It wasn't our spectacular prayer you know it was one of those situations where we prayed one time <clears throat> and had not prayed since but it really wasn't us it was God God simply using us because we were willing to be available for his use and the story that Stephanie read to us this morning is well known. We, we read it from time to time as, as we go through the yearly uh, Torah cycle. And we all somewhat kibitz about it, laugh about it, because it's, it is in some ways very ironic. But what really grabbed me this time about chapters 3 and 4 was the basic fact that this story is really not about Moses, folks. This story is really about God. Let me say that again. Chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus are basically not about Moses, but really are about God. Because Moses throws out all kinds of excuses and justifications and reasons why he cannot do what he should be doing but instead, he doesn't want to do it, and God says, let me work with you. And that for me was the awesome discovering this passage, because all of us come to God with all sorts of excuses. Lord, who am I? What am I about? And um, 
how do I make contact with people in this world that is often very cynical, often very ungodly, and for us who are part of a Messianic Jewish congregation, uh, is the added dimension of conveying Yeshua to a community that is not very friendly, some, often very hostile towards Yeshua. And so we're confronted with a task that often seems to be beyond us, way beyond us. And so because of that, we shrink back and say, God, forget it. And God doesn't let us go. That's the awesome aspect of this. Moses rattles through a number of excuses and God meets him and talks to him and he begins with what uh, may look like a stick but you really have to use some kind of uh, sanctified imagination to see that this is really a shepherd's staff. Well, it may not be but the point simply was that God says to Moses, what is it that you have in your hand? Shepherd, what would a shepherd have? A staff and a rod, a club to fend off the enemies, um, the wolves, anybody who would come and attack the sheep. God says to him, what is it that you have in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. Now, please remember, Moses, uh, God says to him, what do you have in your hand? Do you, you realize, of course, that God wasn't asking the question because he needed information. It wasn't as if the Lord was saying to him, Moses, I am utterly clueless and would you please enlighten me what you have in your hand? This is really like we have a lot of times in Scripture situations that are d designed to elicit not a reaction on, our, uh, on God's part, but reaction on our part. Mate, stick. And the Lord says to him, throw it on the ground. Now, he didn't say to Moses, let it down gradually and gently and hang on to a portion of it, uh, longingly looking at the stick and thinking, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? Uh, but he said, throw it on the ground. It's a very definitive, very specific, very complete command by God. Release it. Not in five years or 50 years, but now. Moses, release it and see what I can do with it. And as you read the Torah, what is amazing is from time to time you see this stick, this shepherd's staff being used again and again and again. Of course, with the parting of the Red Sea and on other occasions, uh, 
Moses takes the staff and he uses it. Now again, folks, this is just a piece of wood. There's nothing magical about the staff. There's nothing really magical about dropping it. It, it is the symbolism behind it where you listen to God and God commands you to do something and you respond and you respond as he commands you. And as we see elsewhere, particularly in the Ten Commandments, but in the rest of, of the Torah, what God has to say to Moses is unyielding demand. In fact, in, the, in this section, the Lord says to Moses, so now go, lech. This is in 3.10. 3.16, go, lech, and then 4.12, now go. And remember that in scripture where you have a, a, a statement or particularly command that is repeated three times, it is, conveys the sense of urgency as in do it. Don't think about it. Don't take 50 years. Do it. The Lord said to Moses, go, lech. And the casting of the staff was part of the process. It was the beginning of the process. God says, throw it on the ground. Okay, I did that. Now, go. Now the fun begins. And it's both funny and really not funny. Because, God, because Moses throws at God every imaginable excuse and reason why you should not be chosen as the right candidate. What Moses does is what you and I do, of course, and that is throw at God all our insecurities. Both our sense of insecurity about who we are and also our insecurity because of what people have said to us. Moses says, who am I? What will happen if they ask me a tough question that I can't answer? What will happen if they do not believe or listen to me? In other words, reject me. And Moses finally saying, Lord, I've never been eloquent. Every objection that Moses throws at God, the Lord answers. And what, is, what I find amazing here, folks, is never in this situation until the very end does God get angry and chew Moses up and rebuke him. But rather, God meets him in his struggles in each, each of these situations. Remember, by the way, that in the very beginning, 40 years ago, Moses was full of himself. He saw a problem. By golly, he was going to fix it. He saw the Egyptian oppressing a fellow Israelite, and no problem. I'm going to kill this guy. And God takes this man who was filled with himself, filled with the knowledge of Egypt, and breaks him he, like a pot of clay. He breaks him so then he can take him 
and reshape him and fashion him. And God did such an awesome job that 40 years later, Moses goes from being totally arrogant to being absolutely timid and highly insecure. God says to him, go, and he said, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to do this job? You can relate to that. I can relate to that. There are times when we sense God urging us, nudging us to get involved in being his mouthpieces to different people, and we want to shrink back and say, God, who am I? You know, I just had this absolutely awful, sinful thought in my mind. How can I be used of you? Moses is insecure. And God doesn't respond to Moses on Moses' terms. He doesn't say, Moses, you're a great guy. You're a wonderful guy. Let me build you up. Let me give you a swell head. He doesn't say any of that to him. He says, rather, Moses, it's not about you. It's about me. It's a fact that, yes, you're insecure, but I am going to be with you. That's God's, always God's response to our insecurity. When we say, God, who am I? The Lord's response is simply to say, you may be feeling insecure, but I am with you. I am the one who makes the difference. Then, of course, Moses deals with the whole issue of how people will respond to him. What will people say when I come and talk to you and say, what is the name of this God? Now think about it, folks. These are the Israelites not having an absolute clue about who their national God is. Why would they have to ask Moses, what God do you represent? There was only one God. And it simply reminds you the simple fact that because the Egyptians were surrounded, that the Israelites were surrounded by idol worship, they had, the Egyptians had a, a god for this, a goddess for that, etc., that part of what happened was that this idol worship came and impacted the nation of Israel. And Joshua, in fact, says, throw away your gods that your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt. What does that suggest? It's pretty clear that the people of Israel, along with some kind of worship of Adonai, the God of Israel, they were engaged in worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. So Moses is afraid that when he comes and talks to them about the God of Israel, they will say, what God are we talking about here? The Lord's response is kind of puzzling. The Lord doesn't say, my name is Adonai or uh, the, the four-letter name of God, which people pronounce Yahweh. Um, and by the way, you may, you may have heard the absolute nonsense in some of the fringes of our movement that unless you say the word Yahweh or Yeshua, you're not pronouncing the name of God correctly. 
absolute rotten nonsense because God presents himself with all kinds of names. And all those names represent his character and his attributes. Adonai Nisi, the Lord my banner. Adonai Rafi, the Lord who heals me. El Shaddai, the God of the covenant. Adonai Tzvaot, the Lord who is in charge of the armies of heaven, and so on and so forth. In this case, the Lord simply says to him, Eheyeh asher eheyeh. I will be that I will be. By the way, a name never again repeated in scripture, the Lord's point is simply say to the Israelites, I am around, I've been around with your forefathers, I am now with you, I will be with you forever. So God deals with that issue. Then Moses says, Lord, what's going to happen if they reject me? And this is a big one, folks. The rejection happened 40 years before. The impact of those bad memories of this Israelite saying to him, who are you? Are you going to be a ruler and a judge over us? That happened 40 years ago, folks. And it worked its way into Moses' consciousness and into his feeling so that that is how he views himself. That's how he views himself. He sees himself as someone who people reject. And that's how he views reality. And this is deadly, folks. When we have experienced rejection by people in one form or another, it is so easy then to take that and to internalize it and to make it part of who we are. So that's how we see ourselves. Insecure because of our own junk and insecure because of people's rejection. And that's like a ball and chain that hangs onto us instead of our saying, you know, regardless of my weakness, regardless of my imperfection, regardless of my stuff, my junk, I, what defines me is the fact that I am a son or a daughter of the king and I'm a servant of God Almighty. When you have that, that provides an anchor, it provides a basis upon which you stand that is unshakable, that, that, doesn't blow, that doesn't rock back and forth depending on circumstances, depending on, on the good things you do, depending on the lousy things that you do, or people's reaction to, to, to you. Again, folks, this portion is not about Moses. It's first of all about God. And Moses at this point really doesn't get it yet that his definition of who he is is about the Lord. Because of that, he has all these objections. Then, of course, he mentions the fact that he is highly un inarticulate, doesn't know what to talk. The Hebrew literally says, I'm, I'm heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. Kind of gives you the, the sense that he feels like there's 
rocks or pebbles in his mouth. And by the way, the, the Jewish tradition in the Midrash gives you a little story that says that when Moses was a little boy, um, Pharaoh took him on his lap. And you know how babies do, they reach for all kinds of things sometimes. Moses reached for Pharaoh's crown, and Pharaoh looked at that and, and said, Oh, this is not good. <laughs> this boy is going to try and take my crown, so we'll put a, uh, a test before him. On one, uh, on one side, there will be my crown. On the other side, there will be a hot coal. If he reaches for the crown, well, we know where that's going. He's going to die. If he reaches for the coal then we know he can live. And according to this story, which really has no basis in Scripture, but it's a cute story. Moses grabbed the coal and burned his, his hand and then put it in his mouth and burned his mouth. And that's why he was not uh, able to be articulate. Well, according to Stephen in Acts chapter 6, and by the way, Stephen represents the knowledge and tradition of first century Judaism, Stephen says that Moses was strong in every regard, including his speech. And you think about the fact that Moses was the stepson of Pharaoh, which means that he was provided all the privileges of the highest society in Egypt, the Egyptian empire, and that he was a graduate of Egypt U. <laughs> the University of Egypt in Thebes or Ramses, wherever it was. So was Moses really incapable of communicating? I don't think so. I think it was all up here. And what confirms that is simply that as time goes on, who is the one who's doing all the speaking? It's not Aaron, it's Moses. Then finally we come to the real issue. The real issue is Moses says, Lord, um, respectfully, send somebody else. I'm not interested in the job. Um, literally, the Hebrew implies the sense of... Uh, Lord, do what you have to do through the hand of somebody else. I'm not interested in going back to the lion's mouth, the lion's jaw, where there are people waiting to kill me. Now, all this is designed to take God's command, God's explicit command. Remember, the Lord said to him three times, go, go, go. It wasn't as if it was iffy. And, and it was some kind of doubt in Moses' mind, and, and maybe uh, he wasn't clear on the correct interpretation. It was very definitive, very definite. Moses, go. And Moses is trying to show God that it's not doable. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the people of Israel, and so on and so forth. By the way, First time when Moses comes, people listen, and they hear, and they believe, and they worship God. 
And at this point, when Moses says, Lord, I'm not interested in a job, this is the first time that we see God really getting angry. And we don't know how long this dialogue in chapters 3 and 4 was going on. It was going on for a while. And finally, Scripture says that God, God's anger burned. Literally, his nostrils flared and, and his nose was, was burning. Vayichar af Adonai, that his nose was on fire. But what, what I found fascinating, folks, is as you read the rest of the portion, even though God is angry at Moses, he doesn't nuke him. You know, the, there is no fire that comes out. And also his, his speech, God's speech, isn't angry because he conveys the basic chesed, the basic love and patience because he understands where Moses is coming from. And, and the rest of the response that God gives Moses is gracious. And folks, this is something I want to park on for a few minutes. We see God as negatively because of our culture, because of our experiences, because of our relationship, because of our bad father-son, father-daughter relationship. We see God as a celestial Scrooge. We have this awful sense that if we enjoy life, that God is going to come down on us like a ton of bricks and say, cut it out. You have to suffer. We have this rotten attitude of who God is, full of unbelief. And folks, unbelief simply means not, not trusting God and attributing to Him rotten motives that really reflect who we are, not who God is. That's what unbelief is. And yet, what you find throughout Scripture over and over and over again is the way God describes Himself verbally through words and the way He describes Himself in action is with grace, with chesed, with patience, with compassion. Amen. Even here in this situation where Moses gave God all kinds of excuses to nuke him. Yes, God is angry, but his response is one of love, of chesed. Verse 14 in chapter 4, he says, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on the way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. In other words, Moses, I got things planned out. I've got things worked out. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will have both of you to speak, <clears throat> and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hands so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. All that to say that the Lord listens to Moses to all these objections 
And he meets him at, is, at each point of these objections. Who am I? Well, not about you, Moses. It's about me. I will go with you. They will not listen to me. Well, I will give you my power that will open their eyes so that they will see and that they will hear the word of God and that the word will be validated by power. This is the principle we find throughout Scripture, that the Word of God always has to be validated by the power of God. Amen. Always, 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 always. Peter says, men of Israel, listen to this, Yeshua of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. And whether the power of God is demonstrated through spectacular supernatural signs or whether... It takes place in, in a more subdued manner is really not the point. If you hear the word of God in whatever form as you come in Shabbat morning, whether you worship, whether you participate in Torah service, whether you engage in listening and hearing the message, if it is the word of God, it will bring about change and transformation in your life. Amen. Because the word of God is always accompanied by the power of God. And it's not about the person. It's not about the vehicle. It's not about the, the, the pot of clay, the lips of clay. It is the presence and the action and the manifestation of the power of God acting through His Word. The Word of God is active, is alive, and effectively powerful. You come each Shabbat, come prepared to hear from God, folks. Not from one of us who are standing and participating, but come prepared to hear the Word of God. Let me urge you to come early, to seek God, to come, not just to breeze in, but to seek God and, and be open to what he wants to share with you and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. You know me. You know how, how I'm wired. You can manage ways to communicate to me. Please speak to me. <clears throat> I want to hear Yeshua puts it this way, very simply. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. This is a very basic, absolute statement. If you're one of Yeshua's sheep, you will hear his voice. And he will enable you to follow according to the word that he gives you. Amen. I don't want to park on the other side if you're not hearing his voice. Concentrate on the positive. You are one of Yeshua's sheep. He wants to speak to you. Come prepared each Shabbat. <clears throat> Ask him to prepare you, to empower you to come ready. Don't say to God, Lord, who am I? I have ears that are filled with wax. I cannot hear. 
come prepared and say, Lord, would you please speak to me? In this case, with Moses saying, Lord, my lips are heavy, my mouth is heavy, the Hebrew is so graphic, the Lord says to him, I will be with your mouth. What the Lord is basically saying, I will see to it, Moses, that somehow, even though you feel like you are not very capable or very articulate, I will somehow see to it that you speak words that will be accompanied by power. And please, folks, remember that it was not about the stick. The stick was simply a symbol that God said, use it. And Moses said, yes, I will. We often look at this portion, perhaps we snicker. Again, I want to emphasize and reemphasize again and again, folks, this portion is about God. Not about Moses. But first of all, what begins, what derives this story is not just the facts on the ground, what takes place in this dialogue between God and Moses. What really drives the story, if you step back, is God's heart of compassion. And folks, this is always what drives God's action, is his heart of compassion. Not what the drama here with Moses. The Lord heard the people of Israel screaming, and he was moved with compassion. By the way, in chapter 2, where it speaks about Israel being oppressed, crying out to God, there are four different Hebrew words that give you different nuances of what the moaning and groaning and quetching and crying out to God were, were all about. Starting with very, very quiet, you know, the, the kind of sense where, where you're just weary and you groan quietly to yourself to all the way to a much higher decibel to where you scream out to God and you say, God, help me. All of that is in there. And scripture says that God heard. And not only God heard, God was intimately involved in this. Verse 7 of chapter 3, the Lord says, I have indeed seeing the misery of my people in Egypt. I really, 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 you really have seen what's going on, even though they might, might, might have felt as if I was detached. I've been engaged with them. I've been really seeing them. I've been hearing their screaming. And what's more... I know their pain. NIV translates it as, I'm concerned about their suffering. The Hebrew there is literally yadati. Yada is knowledge that is experiential and relational. Somehow God was engaged with Israel and he knew and understood their suffering. Verse 9 of chapter 3, Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
Literally, they, they were squeezed. They were squeezed, you know, with one of these. I don't know if you've seen these machines that are uh, carton crushers. You know, way back in the dim and distant past, a couple of centuries ago, I used to work as a stock fellow uh, for one of the um, department stores. And part of what we would do is we would take the boxes, empty them, and then we'd throw them to, into this machine that would take the uh, cartons and would crush them, you know, squeeze them from side to side. That's kind of the sense that you have here of what's going on with the people of Israel. Can you ever relate to that? The Lord says, I have seen this. I have seen how they're squeezed, how the Egyptians are trying to squeeze the life out of them. And I'm determined to do something about it. I'm very much engaged. Verse 8, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, Moses, what this is about is not you, it's about me. Caring for your people, for my people, who are oppressed. And I have a plan, and I'm engaged. And part of the process, folks, as we go through life, we're so preoccupied and consumed with our reality, with our facts on the ground, with what's happening with our life. You know, for each one of us, there's a different story here. Each one of us is engaged with different parts of life. You know, whether it's the kids, if you're married and have children, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a relationship with someone else that's gone south, whether it's finances, whether it's health, all of that. We're consumed with it. And the Lord does with us what he does with Moses. He simply says to us, what is it that you have in your hands? I'm not asking you to do something that I have not given you. I'm asking you to do what I have given you. What is it that you have in your hands? What is the gifting and the empowering and the resources that you have? Not that somebody else has, but that you have. What is in your hand? Cast it down. Release it. Because I have plans. And I want to use you. I want to use what I've given you to impact other people. Yeshua said in John 10, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. What is it that you have in your hand? The, the shepherd's staff was an ordinary item that was part of everyday life. We're not shepherds. We don't have staffs. We, we have other things that we use as part of everyday. If I were to take a show of hands and ask, 
I'm sure that every hand would go up. How many folks have a cell phone? How many folks have a computer? Did you ever think about using the cell phone or the computer in the service of God? Instead of being something that is your gig, your thing, something that you do because you feel like doing because you are bent out of shape, you want to tell the whole world about it on Facebook and so on and so forth. How does God want to use your resources, your phone book, your, your, your cell phone, your computer, your Facebook connection, and all the other social networking? How does God want to use that to touch the lives of other people? Have you released it to God like Moses has with, with his shepherd's staff? Have you thrown it down to the ground and said, God, it is yours? Or did you hang on to it and say, okay, God, uh, today, yes, uh, I'll use it for your purposes, but tomorrow it's my deal. Yes, no, yes, no, maybe in a year. The Lord says, drop it. Release it. Just a small little example of something that we use every single day, folks. Who is in control of that? You or God? Do you realize the power that is involved in our words, our verbal words, our written words, our words that we send out into, into internet space? Yes, I am on Facebook, and I, and I sometimes read it, and I just pull out the few hairs I have left. No, it's not as if God says, okay, today you will sit down and write a sermon. But it simply means releasing to God's purposes, to God's service, everything that you have. Are you willing to do that? You know, sometimes I, I, I send out messages and I, afterwards I sit back and I say, why on earth did I do that? So part of the process for me, folks, and it's a process. It's a process that will probably take me another 50 years. I should live so long. I'm stepping back and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do in this arena, this particular way? with this particular resource that you have given me, this cell phone, this computer, this Facebook connection, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do in my family, in my work environment? Do you get the fact that it's not all about you, but it really is all about God Amen. and His heart of compassion for other people? Like Yeshua said, he sees that there are other folks out there who are not yet in the sheep pen. And just like he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, he wants to do the same thing. 
He wants to do the same thing to others. No, you and I are not the ones who save anybody. We just simply put ourselves in God's disposal and say, God, here I am. Here I am. Here is what you've given me. I release it to you. I'm willing to do what you have called me to do. I'm grateful that you will work with me even when I'm clueless. But I'm willing. Are you, in fact, willing? Let's pause for a minute, and, and I just want to ask, please don't get up and move and shake a leg and do all that stuff and think about lunch. Let's just think for a moment and, and, and just invite the Lord to shine His light into areas of our life that have been out of His control or that we have not yielded to His control and simply say, Lord, please open my eyes and show me what it is that I have in my hands. Show me how to release it for your purposes. I want to serve you. I want to be engaged in the work of your kingdom. I want to see others coming to the knowledge of you. Hallelujah. Lord God, we thank you that you have a heart of compassion, not only for us, that you're patient and merciful with us, Lord, when we are clueless, when we are unyielding, hard-hearted, unwilling to respond. Thank you, Lord, that you're patient through those times and through the times when we are beginning to yield and respond to you and we're like sheep, clueless. Lord God, we, we pray that the fullness of the process of revelation and, and illumination, Lord, in our hearts would take place. That for each one of us, Lord, you would show us what is in our hands, Lord God, that we need to release to you, to your service. Show each one of us, Lord God, what that looks like, how to release it, how to invest it in your service, and to step back and, and let you, Lord God, do your work. We pray, Lord God, that you would move in power in our lives, Lord, in us and through us. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.